Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, and by The Barrel Club in Oak Lawn. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores Hockey Guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome into the latest installment of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. And with me, as always, is the one and only pride and joy of Homewood, Illinois, Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the Locked On Blackhawks podcast. Yet again, Jay, I mentioned this on Friday. It seems like everything's happening in pairs between our episodes. The Blackhawks have a game where they're kind of meh and a game that they win. It just it seems <laughs> like this pattern has been established. And here we have a continuing the Kirby Dockless and Adam Boquist list. Boquist list Blackhawks. Bo- Boquist listness. <laughs> uh, they lost on Saturday to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but then they turned right around, came home to the United Center on Sunday night and beat the high flying Toronto Maple Leafs in an absolutely wild hockey on cocaine game (laughs) at the United Center. Thought it was a nice little throwback to the 80s. I'm going to uh, go ahead and let you have the floor here, Jay, and I'm going to take a sip of some delicious root beer while you talk. Well, I wish the Hawks and Leafs could play every night. If that was hockey, it'd be the most popular sport in the world. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That game was everything you advertise hockey to be high flying, high scoring, and, I, you know, you mentioned that the Penguins game was a bit of a dud. I thought they played pretty well in that game, too. So their last three games have been pretty solid. You can't really take too much issue with how they played. And, look, you're going to look at the Toronto game and say, well, they gave up 57 shots on goal. And that's absolutely true, and they can't do that on a regular basis. But there's a couple things here to consider. 
first. They were up 4-1 by the end of the first period. So you can Mm -hmm. talk about score effects over 40 minutes, not just 20, right? Also, did you know, James Naveau, that despite giving up 57 shots on goal? You're about to hit me with my favorite stat of the night, aren't you? I don't know. Please please hit me with it. I'm going to tell you if it's it. Yes, despite giving up 57 shots on goal, the Blackhawks only allowed four high-danger scoring chances at 5-on-5 the entire game. You hit me with it, and it is the most preposterous stat I've ever seen. Makes all the sense in the world if you watch the game because you're like, yeah, the Leafs had a million chances, but they literally were so liberal with their chances. I think they attempted something like, 59 or 60 shots and 53 of them found their way on net. That was definitely an instance of quantity over quality. And I saw a lot of people complaining that the Blackhawks had allowed so many shots. But like you said, the eye test seemed to indicate at least a little bit that they were just kind of flinging the puck at the net and seeing what would happen. And not a lot of them were real grade A scoring chances. And that right there, my friend, that stat that you just threw out there, was the thing that gave me a little bit of comfort after the game because it validated my bias that they really didn't have all that many tremendous scoring opportunities. No, and if you watch that game, it never felt like... I mean, towards the end, Toronto was really coming on. They got a couple power plays, and they were trying desperately to tie the game. And so maybe the last 10 minutes or so really went Toronto's way. They did have 26 shots on goal in the third period. But aside from that, like little snapshot of the action, it never really felt like Toronto was dominating that game. It didn't feel like the Hawks were hugely on their heels at all. I thought for the most part, and and like we just said, the, the stat sheet showed it, they didn't have a ton of high-quality chances. The Tavares goal was a power play goal. You know, the, it was just uh, Nylander scored a pair of nice goals up close and in tight, but that game never felt like, oh, my God, the Hawks are getting destroyed and they just have to hold on. Robin Leonard played great. But that game was a lot more even than I think the score sheet shows. You are absolutely correct about that and definitely validated the eye test on that front. And I know if you look strictly at possession numbers, the Blackhawks did get out possessed by the Maple Leafs, especially in that third period. The Corsi 4, I think, for Toronto was something like 65%. Like the ice definitely was tilted in their direction. Then you throw in the power plays as well, and it really went that way. But at the same time, the things that you look at is typical like barometers of how bad of a defensive effort something was, your high danger chances, the heat maps that you can find at places like Natural Stat Trick. None of that stuff really showed that the Blackhawks got dominated in any real way because they only allowed the four chances. The heat map was basically completely clean in the middle of the ice. I mean, they Toronto was just flinging the puck in from everywhere and Robin Leonard had a lot of uncontested shots that he stopped very easily like that. That game to me, I know advanced stats may have indicated the Blackhawks lost the possession battle in that game. But truth be told, that was a pretty evenly played matchup against an offensive team in the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's honestly a really solid team, no matter what their record is. I know they probably are not living up to the huge expectations of their fan base with what I think they're like nine, six and three or something like that. They they've got some work to do, but that is still one of the NHL's best offenses. And I think the Blackhawks, they took some shots in that game where the Leafs were really able to punch back. But I thought overall, I'm fine with the way the Blackhawks played on Sunday. 
Yeah, totally agree with you. And I think just it's been trending in the right direction. And Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, Friday when we did our podcast, we shared a little piece of audio. Uh, actually, we had to read the quote because we're not allowed to use the WGN audio. But we read you that Dylan Strom quote uh, after the game Thursday against Vancouver. And if you missed it, I'll read it for you again. This is a quote from Dylan Strom again after Thursday's win over the Vancouver Canucks. We're trying to build some momentum here, doing a lot of new things in new systems. It takes a little bit of getting used to. We kind of went back to our old system a little bit from last year tonight, so I think we felt a lot more comfortable. So there's Dylan Strom after Thursday's game acknowledging that the Blackhawks sort of reverted back to the system they were playing last year. I want to share another piece of audio with you. This is from Sunday's postgame after the Toronto game. Jeremy Cowlton mentioned something very, very similar. We uh, we kind of made a conscious effort to try and be a bit looser when the puck turned over so we could create more uh, out of D-zone in transition, and I think it's helped. There's been a lot more plays available for us and uh, probably closer to how it looked at times last year as far as our ability to make plays out of D-zone and even through the neutral zone. and probably fits our top guys and you can see they're kind of coming to life so that's that's good to see so there it is there's an acknowledgement that audio by the way courtesy of chicagoblackhawks.com and we thank them and love them very very much <laughs> um they i guess praise is des- is deserved because they realized what they were doing wasn't working i'd love to find out and i'm actually working to find out what warranted that move like who did the players say something did, was there a big team meeting where everybody just kind of aired out the dirty laundry, or did Jeremy Cowan just have a realization, you know what, what we're doing right now isn't working, let's go back to what worked a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, at some point you have to realize that, yeah, you want to play a specific style, but if you don't have the personnel to match it, then you absolutely have to make that adjustment. You can't continue to put, try to put a square peg in a round hole. It's just not going to work. The Blackhawks are a more effective team when they're playing that kind of like high pace transition game. No, they're not the fastest team in the world, but they've got some solid passers on that team. And that transition game can help to kind of mask some of the defensive deficiencies that end up, uh, you know, manifesting themselves when you're playing a little bit of a slower pace and kind of like trying to methodically set things up. When you have those liabilities on the back end, like the Blackhawks do, I think that the higher pace game kind of benefits you because then you can at least like outscore some of your mistakes at least. And I think that what we saw in the closing weeks and months of last season was that that system worked really well with some of the guys that they had, your Stroms, your DeBrincats, your Canes. And this season, once they made that switch, once they went back to it, you've seen guys take off like your Alex DeBrincats, your Patrick Kane, who had three points the other last night against Toronto. You see these guys that are really starting to lock back in. And obviously, this is a very, still a very small sample size of what we're talking about. Yeah, but, but when you totally see the different. names that are popping up on that score sheet, it's a good indicator that they've hit on something. Well, and it looks different. Just the eye test. You can tell. I was on the score with Steve Rosenblum and Matt Spiegel on Saturday, and we were talking about it. If you were just to throw, you know, random black and white jerseys on the two teams on the ice, and you watch the game against San Jose, and you watch the game against Vancouver, you would not know that the Blackhawks were the same team. It was a totally different approach. And by the way, you mentioned uh, Strom, DeBrinkett, and Kane, and how they've started to thrive. They were put together 
on the uh, Sunday game against Anaheim. So it's been five games since then. In those five games, that line is combined for 20 points. Dylan Strom has five assists. Debrinkit has two goals and three assists. Patrick Kane, in those five games, has five goals and five assists. Uh, sources tell me that that's good. It's great. And the other thing that is worth noting that you probably wouldn't know unless you're a nerd like us and look at the box score every game, they're getting balance. You're having every line is producing scoring or at least scoring chances from the first line to the bottom line. The team is getting chances and producing. I think they've found at least, you know, no lines live forever, but this should be the lineup for the foreseeable future until they start to struggle mightily again and until mm-hmm. they start to look like a team that can't create any offense again, then I think this is what you have to stick with. Kirby Doc, who only played seven minutes against Toronto the other night, scored a sweet goal, started another odd man rush. Uh, I like what I saw from him. I think that was his best game. So over the last, what, one, two, three, four, five days, six days, it's almost like everyone's opinions of this team is changed because there it is. We're seeing what we saw last year that gave us some hope going into this season. Yeah, I was I was actually going to mention that, that we need to definitely like temper the enthusiasm at least a little bit. Of course. Because we've seen this movie play out several times already this season where it looks like something has kind of clicked with the Blackhawks and then they kind of end up reverting. But yeah, three games is definitely a little bit better of a sample size than some of the other times that we've proclaimed that the corner may have finally been turned. But at the same time, when you look at the teams that they've played, the Tor- they've played Toronto, played Vancouver, and played Pittsburgh, and grabbed five out of a possible six points, that's not a bad run no. against a, a stretch of teams that you and I had uh, talked about in previous podcasts that they were going to run into a really tough part of their schedule And the Blackhawks are acquitting themselves pretty nicely so far during that stretch. I did want to point out one other thing. You mentioned the balance in the Blackhawks lineup and how there were scoring opportunities kind of coming from anywhere. Can you tell me, Jay, how many players do you think were held without a shot on goal in the uh, Sunday win over the Leafs? Just out of curiosity. I think I know this, and I think it's one. It was actually three. Two okay. of the defensemen didn't have a shot. Keith and Mata. By the way, Duncan Keith, no shots on goal his last two games, mm. which is strange. Weird. Yeah. Um, the only forward that did not have a shot was actually Alex Nylander, who right. played 12 minutes and 50 seconds in that game. Including some power play time. Yeah, which it's so bizarre that he did not get a shot on goal. But again, like you said, when you can get those threats that are kind of coming in from everywhere definitely makes you a lot harder to defend against. And I think that Jeremy Colleton has potentially found a decent formula with the line combinations he's put together. And as far as I'm concerned, that lineup that they rolled out against Toronto last night, that's the exact lineup I want going against Las Vegas on Wednesday night. You know who else has found a decent combination? Um, Chuck Southern coverage cafe. Oh, see, you got me. I was going to go with, uh, the Chicago Bulls, but that would have been a bad joke. What? No. That's a bad mix. <laughs> Chuck Southern Coverage Cafe, a great mix of Cajun, Mexican, barbecue, and the traditional bar food, wings, burgers, nachos, whatever you want. But listen, Chuck's is phenomenal. They're one of our longtime sponsors. You've got to go there and try everything on the menu. My favorites at Chuck's. Every day you can get the jambalaya. It's the best I've ever had, and I've been in New Orleans. 
Uh, the Cochinita Pabil is a Saturday special. You must try that meal before you die. Hurry up. You don't have much time left. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what your health situation is, but go to Chuck's and it will probably get worse. But it doesn't matter. It's delicious. Go there and eat it. It's worth it. And for dessert, you've got to try the cobbler. It's a hot mixed berry pie or a peach pie covered in uh, vanilla ice cream. Absolutely phenomenal. But everything at Chuck's is great. And if you just want to go for a drink, they have hundreds of beers on tap and in bottles and cans. Chuck'sCafe.com. Go visit them. They're in Burbank. They're in Darien. And tell them the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast sent you. Yeah, yeah. definitely do that. We definitely like it when uh, our listeners do that. And I'm sure our sponsors like it, too. Oh, they do for sure. That's the reason they choose to sponsor the podcast here. And uh, hopefully it, it pays off for them. And, and look, we've had our longtime sponsors for a long time, which tells me that our podcast listeners are making it worth their while. So we appreciate that. The best way to support this podcast is to go support our sponsors, and when you do, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, Nylander, you mentioned you didn't have a shot on goal against Toronto. Um, couple not great games in a row. Anything you're seeing that's alarming, or do you think it's just kind of a, you know, it's one of those uh, valleys for a young player? I think it's one of those things that uh, you kind of look at, and it's just there's ebbs and flows to this stuff. I think that Nylander was struggling quite a bit, I think, in the games previous to the last two, and I think you and I had kind of noted it, but it's nothing nothing that he's doing is particularly egregious to me. I think that his ice time reflects that Jeremy Colleton is still fairly uh, satisfied with the effort level that he's seeing. And I think that's a good thing. I think that you can't knee jerk react and yank a guy out of the lineup every time that he has kind of a rough game. And I don't, I'm not saying that Colleton has done that, but I'm saying that the temptation is there with the success that they've had with scratching Nylander once with scratching Eric Gustafson. Like I'm sure the temptation is there to maybe try to do that again if Nylander can go a few more games without a point. But I haven't really noticed any significant uh, drop-off in effort. You're still noticing him making uh, solid plays in the neutral zone especially. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that he's doing a really nice job of kind of disrupting some of the flow of the uh, opposition offense when he's doing that. So, no, I'm not really overly concerned, although I'm sure – if you are, you're about to hit me with a truth bomb. No, I'm really not. I, I mean, the things we've seen from him have been what we've seen all year. You know, the effort's there. Uh, there was a nice play, I believe it was in the Vancouver game, where he back-checked and, and broke up an odd man rush. Uh, he'll get there. And look, I, I think we forget how young uh, Alex Nylander is because we have so many other prospects on our mind with Doc and with Bolquist, and those guys are super young too. But Alex Nylander hasn't played a ton of NHL hockey, so there's going to be moments of brilliance there's going to be moments of you know putting your head in your hands a little bit concerned but you'd like to see him produce more but at the same time he's playing on the top line he's hanging with that line he doesn't look out of place and I think once he gets more comfortable and as he gets more games under his belt and gets more consistency we're going to see uh, a better and more dependable offensive player as far as production goes I think he's been dependable as far as effort and style of play and everything goes but you want to see that production uh probably become a little more consistent but aside from that i don't really have any complaints i think he's i think he's done a really good job this year i really do yeah especially the rebound after that scratch and i know we've talked about yeah. that previously so i won't uh 
go into too much more detail and kind of haranguing on this point. But I think that that really did kind of help to reset him and kind of settle him down a little bit. And I think that the team has made it pretty clear what their expectations are for him on a night in night out basis. And I think that largely he's lived up to that. And yeah, you'd like to see him get on the score sheet a little bit more often, but with the variety of places that these guys are finding themselves in the lineup, I think that you can be forgiven for having a few games where you don't end up getting on the score sheet. And especially when the other guys are playing so well, I think that it just kind of, you know, maybe magnifies it a little bit, makes it a little bit more noticeable. But like I said, I don't see any issues with effort. And I think that he's still doing the things that he was doing well uh, after he had gotten scratched the first time. Yeah, no doubt about that. Why don't we do this? Let's take a timeout. Come back. You mentioned the healthy scratch for Alex Nylander. We just saw Kirby Doc and Adam Boak was healthy scratch. I want to talk to you about that. I haven't really talked about that at all on any of my podcasts yet, so I want to get into that and also sort of what's next when Connor Murphy comes back. What do you see happening? Before we take a break, I want to tell you about our longtime sponsors, Marishka's and Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. Go there, try the poor boy, try the Yolo burger, try the steaks, try the chops, try the seafood. They've got a great craft beer menu as well. Go to marishkas.com or facebook.com slash marishkas. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. They are closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go to Marishkas and tell them the Madhouse podcast sent you. We'll be right back with a whole lot more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'm Jay Zawoski. He is James Naveau. They are Triple Threat Sports, our longest-running sponsor. We've talked about them for five years. You know what they do. You want an authentic Hawks jersey? Triple Threat Sports will make you look like the players on the ice. They will get every detail correct. But if you've got a team, your softball team, your bowling league, even your corporate office, if you guys need some T-shirts or polos or whatever, Triple Threat Sports is the place to go. TripleThreatSports.com. Send Chris an email, Chris at TripleThreatSports.com, or call 708-478-6090. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. James, last game against Pittsburgh. That's not the last game. Two games ago against Pittsburgh, Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist were healthy scratches. And I think I expected myself to be a little more pissed about it but I couldn't really manufacture the anger about it. I mm. get that young players uh, could use a reset now and again. I think it was fair to say that um, Doc especially probably benefited from it. I don't think Boquist was having any problems really necessarily, but um, now and again, to give those guys a blow, to give those guys a look from the press box, I think it can be beneficial. And look, it, it happened with Dominic Kubelik, and he responded in the Pittsburgh game with a sweet goal, that three-man, the three-on-one with Cuckoo Saad and Kubalik. Um, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. As long as it doesn't become a trend, I'm fine with it. One game, a month, or whatever, to get their, their heads right, to give them a different look, I'm, I'm down. But I don't think there's any doubt 
that Kirby Dock is one of their 12 best forwards, and I don't think there's any doubt that Anabokos is one of their six best defensemen. I, you know, I just want to see Doc get more minutes. Se- yeah. What did he play last night? Seven? Seven something? A little bit over seven, yeah. It's not enough. He's got to play more. And and look, when he's on the ice, do you see him struggling? I don't. He's he's a Certainly factor not. all the time. So, you know, I, I just want to see him out there more. Okay, so I I think that but like earlier in the process, like after we had heard that they were both going to be sitting out, like I think that part of me wanted to justify it in my head, like, look, like these are young guys. This is a back to back you know, there's three games and four nights. Just give them both a night off. Like I can kind of see the logic behind it. But then the way that they ended up being utilized last night in the Toronto game, I think kind of it blew that up for me a little bit. Like it, the narrative that they needed the rest, like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I get their young guys. They've never played 82 games in a season, whatever. But when you sit there and the game after he had a night off ostensibly to kind of rest and reset, you have Kirby doc out there for seven minutes and 43 seconds. You have him out there for no special teams time at all. You have him take three face-offs yeah, he scored a goal, but what the hell are you doing to his development to limit his minutes and his action and his learning experiences like that? I know you're still trying to win games, obviously, but you cannot tell me that the best way for you to win hockey games right now is to basically strip out every extraneous piece of whatever with Kirby Doc's game and skate him for less than eight minutes in a game. Like that is not doing him any favors in his development. And frankly, if the Blackhawks are going to use him like that as like a bottom tier fourth line winger who only gets seven or eight minutes of only even strength time in a game, send him back to Saskatoon. Like, I, I, seriously, if you're going to waste your t- why are you wasting a year of his ELC with this non-development development? Like I again, I get it. They've never played 82 games before. Three games in four nights is a really tough slog for anybody, even a young kid like that that isn't used to it. But at the same time, you're not doing him any favors by benching him for a game and then playing him seven and a half minutes. So I think that I was trying to give Colleton the benefit of the doubt with that. But especially with Kirby Doc, I just I, I don't approve of this. I think that it was a bad decision, a bad move, and I think he compounded it with how little he played him yesterday. All right, so Doc has played 11 games so far this season. I'm going to go from game one to game 11 on the ice time for Doc. First game, 1341, 8-22, 14-09, 12-40, 10-20, 12-43, 7-29, 12-37, 10.06, There doesn't seem to be like any rhyme or reason to why he is or isn't playing either. It's not like, oh, they were down big and had to come back or they were up big and had to protect the lead. There's not really a common theme between these games where he played a lot and where he didn't. His biggest minutes, Philly, 14.09, that was a loss. Mm-hmm. Carolina, they got smoked in that game it was he played 1240 so it looks like he's playing more in games in which they're playing like ass and to me I don't really know what that accomplishes at all right Mm -hmm. like if you're gonna play him last night would have made sense you're up four to one put him out there let him play against some of these top-notch players in the game you're do you're playing well in you're feeling good about and look he'd already scored a goal a sweet goal at that 
He set up another odd man break using his speed through the middle. Uh, I thought he looked, when he was on the ice last night, he was impressive. Mm-hmm. But then you only play him for seven plus minutes. What's the plan? Five players it. took more faceoffs than he did last night. Five, not three. It wasn't like, you know, oh, there were a couple of centers that obviously took more. Taves obviously did. Strom obviously did. Camp obviously did. Zach Smith and Andrew Shaw both took more faceoffs than Kirby Doc last night. How the hell is he going to learn how to win faceoffs at the NHL level? Or better yet, give you an indication of whether or not he can win faceoffs at the NHL level if you're not giving him any opportunities to do it. And I know, like, faceoffs, it's kind of like a whatever thing. It matters. It all matters in the grand scheme of things. All of these things are potential learning experiences for him. And I know that everybody's kind of given some props to Jeremy Colleton for the changes and system that he's executed the last three games. Here's a change, Jeremy. Play Kirby Doc more. Yeah, well, there's no reason not to. I mean, look, the most faceoffs Doc has taken in a single game this year is six. That I mean... Look, I'm glad he's here. You and I agreed he should be here. I think going sending him back to Saskatoon to just skate circles around teenagers doesn't do him much good. Neither does playing seven minutes and 43 seconds exactly. in an NHL game. Totally agree with you. That's why he needs to be. Look, I want to see at least 12, 13 minutes a night from Kirby Doc. That's not too much. That's not overexposing him. That's not putting him in a situation to fail. Put him out there. The dude's big. He has shown he's got the physica- the physical tools to thrive and play well in this league. He's used his size to his, ad- to his advantage several times. I don't know what they're afraid of. Is his defensive play that bad? I don't think so. And, of mm-hmm. course, there's things we don't see that the coaches see, and I'm willing to concede some of that. But there's just no rhyme or reason to his ice time. 13, 8. 14, 12, 10, 12, 7, 12, 10, 9, 7. Like, what, what's, the, what's the plan? What is the plan of development here? And until that's, I don't know, I don't need Jeremy Collin to say this is the plan, but it should be a little more obvious. You would think that your number three overall pick, one of your more talented forwards already, would be ramping up a nice time as the season went on, but it's like up, up, down, down, up, 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 down. It's just there's no, there's and then you, then you scratch them. So there's just no real rhyme or reason that I can see for why they're using him and why they're deploying him the way they are. I can't, right. I can't really figure I, it out. We hammer, obviously, I, I'm not thrilled with the way Collison's been using Kirby Doc. But you know what? I got questions about Adam Boquist, too. You bench him for a game and all of a sudden you have him on the power play for 30 seconds? far as I could tell, he was playing pretty damn well in the point on the power play when he was there. But instead, you have Duncan Keith getting four minutes of power play time. Look, reminder, the last two games, Duncan Keith has zero shots on goal in well-balanced efforts and in a lot of situations, apparently, where he's going to get opportunities to put the puck on the net and he's not doing it. I'm not saying that Duncan Keith's like bad on the power play or bad at even strength or whatever. I'm just saying that wouldn't you want your 867 year old defenseman to maybe get a breather occasionally instead of putting him out on the freaking power play for four minutes. Why don't you use the young guy, the first round draft pick guy, the offensive skill set guy. Why don't you, I don't know, give him an opportunity to get used to quarterbacking an NHL power play. Call me crazy, but that might be a good idea. You're crazy. Thank you. You know what? I'm glad someone finally <laughs> manned up and said it. 
All right, so here's the Adam Boquist game log as far as ice time goes. Uh, starting with game one, which was November 2nd against the LA Kings, 15:38. Game two against the Ducks, 15:44. Game three against the Sharks, 15:45. Vancouver, 12:18. Toronto, 12:33. So he's another one. It's That's fairly his, consistent. It's consistent, but you're seeing his minutes go down in the last two games. And again, Maybe it's because you have a lead and you're trying to protect that lead. That makes a little bit of sense. That's a little easier for me to justify than Kirby Doc just picking his nose on the bench for uh, you know 53 minutes of the game. <laughs> there, there's at least some logic there, right? The, those two last games where he dropped off, they had leads late, or the game sure. was at least close late. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think the thing to me, like more than just the sum total of the ice time, is just the fact that they're not being developed in other areas. Like, I understand you want to protect the lead. That's fine. I get it. You're trying to win hockey games. But I still think you give yourself a good chance to win a hockey game if you have Adam Boquist out there on the power play. I still think you have a decent (laughs) chance to win a game if you occasionally give Kirby Doc a shorthanded shift. Call me crazy again, but... I think that those are those are good development opportunities that you're kind of letting go by the wayside. And obviously, we still have a nice long way to go in the regular season, and this stuff could change. They could end up using him more. Uh, Dude, it's just so frustrating that these guys are being used so little. And this very clearly is a team that needs to be focused on developing its young talent and getting its next generation of potential stars acclimated to the NHL level. And I don't think they're necessarily doing a great job with that right now. No, it's hard to argue with that. And and here's the thing, like if you want to argue that, you know, Colin is sort of in a weird position here where, and I sort of agree with this, where he has to simultaneously win and develop, right? Like, there's pressure on him for this to be a playoff team. There's external pressure now that started last week with me and other people sort of questioning his um, credibility as a coach, if he deserves a job, et cetera, et cetera. So that pressure is coming in now. But are you telling me that you think that Slater Cuckoo and Zach Smith give you a better chance to win than Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist? I don't believe that. And yeah, those guys, you know, especially Smith, has a lot of miles under his belt. He's played a lot of good hockey in his career. He's got some value. I think Smith has actually been okay in the last p- couple games he's played. But, like, ultimately, what does it accomplish, right? I, I just, I don't know. I'd rather have Doc flounder a little bit early so when December, January, February comes around and hopefully the Hawks have climbed their way back into this wild card race, then he's seen it all and he's ready to become a regular part of this team. I get easing guys in, but that's not what's happening here. Like mm-hmm. I said, the minutes are up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. What What is the plan? You've got him on the power play. Then he's off the power play. Then he's barely playing. Then he's playing top six minutes. It's like, God, it, it's, it can, it's really sort of hard to understand the plan, especially with Doc. With Bullquist, again, I get it. The numbers are more consistent. But you're right about that. If Boquist is in the lineup, he's got to be on the power play every game, and, and like yeah. the top unit. Mm-hmm. And and remember when this season was beginning, our big question with Cowden, and I think so far so good as, as far as this angle goes. But on the power play, is he opting for comfortable veteran over worthy player? 
right? And I feel like maybe a little bit on the power play, that's what he's doing. Look, he's made Robin Leonard the starting goalie. Props for that. He's benched Brent Seabrook. He's benched Eric Gustafson after poor performances. Props for that. But to opt for these veteran guys on the power play, over, especially Boquist, there's no doubt that even at this point, how many games into his career? Six, seven games into his NHL career? Mm. Adam Boquist is their best puck-moving defenseman and has the best vision from the point of their defenders. I, I don't think there's much question about it. Maybe you give an edge to Keith because of experience, and he's got the savvy to sort of know what play is going to come next. But as far as a natural puck mover and offensive threat on the power play, as far as defensemen go, it's Adam Boquist, I think, by a mile. Yeah. He's got to be I out do- there, man. I do, I do want to point something out. Like I know that obviously this <laughs> this podcast took like a hundred and eighty degree turn because we were saying a lot of things the Blackhawks were doing right, and then we got to the things that they weren't, and it really yeah. took a turn. Well, look, I do I, want to give DAP to one other Blackhawks yeah. player that's maybe blown a little bit under the radar. But first, Jay, you know what I want to hear about? Hmm. I want to hear about the Barrel Club. Oh, can the, you can you, you t- tell me about them? Are you talking about the Barrel Club in Oakland? I believe I am, yeah. <laughs> well, they're our newest sponsor, after all. BarrelClubIllinois.com, 4910 West 111th Street. They are selling raffle tickets for Weeshfest, so go in there, uh, get a raffle ticket. There's some great prizes being given away, but we want to also tell you about the NHL flight, the Guy Lafleur Canadian Whiskey, the Belfour Whiskey aged in pecan wood made in Texas, and, of course, the 99 brand Gretzky Ice Cask Whiskey. Ask for the NHL flight at the Barrel Club, but look, when you settle down with your cocktails or your beers at Barrel Club, the food is absolutely tremendous. Steaks, seafood, you know, burgers, everything at Barrel Club is delicious. It's a little bit of a, it's a nice place. You want to take your wife out for a date, you want to take your kids somewhere special to celebrate after communion or reconciliation or whatever, Barrel Club is the place to go. It's also a place you can stop in for lunch. If you're out painting a house or, you know, cutting lawns, whatever you do for a living, you'll fit right in at Barrel Club. But the food, tremendous, a higher level, a higher notch up. So go visit our friends at BarrelClubIllinois.com, 4910 West 111th Street. You'll see a Zawaski there, I guarantee you. My Uncle John and his son, also named John, um, run the place. Look for the big meat-headed Polish guys, and chances are they're my cousins or uncle. <laughs> so say hello and tell them the Madhouse podcast sent you. Oh, that's that's beautiful, man. I I love the family that sticks together with both names and love of delicious whiskeys. Yeah. Okay. So this this comes up because we were talking about the fact that Adam Boquist is the best puck moving defenseman on the team. I do agree with you on this point. However, I do want to also say Eric Gustafson has continued to impress me with the way that he's played recently. No, his defense sucked balls in the Toronto game. Terrible, but his <laughs> offense, his offense was non-existent. Let's just let's start with that. It had been non-existent early in the season. I feel like we've been seeing him be a lot more assertive in that area. Would you not agree with that? I do agree with that, and I think a big part of that is the uh, switch to the older system, where the Hawks are taking more risks. They're allowing their defensemen to activate more offensively, and that's that's his game. When he had his 60-point season, which we seem to mention every podcast, it was in that system that they've been using over the last three games. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Gustafson, especially offensively, has looked a hell of a lot better and a hell of a lot more valuable in the system. Before that, before the Vancouver game, 
he was useless because he couldn't yeah. defend, and the system did not allow for him to go create offense, so he was like just a guy out there. And scratching him made perfect sense. Now that we're seeing this new, more aggressive, it's not new, this old, new, aggressive system where the defense is able to actually put itself out there and try to create some offense, yeah, he's he's going to look better, and he has looked better offensively. He was really bad against we'll, we'll Toronto call defensively, this, um, but... You remember when they uh, got rid? They switched the recipe of Coke, and everybody freaked out, and so they switched it back and called it Coca Cola Classic. Yes, I think this is Colleton Classic. Coca Colleton Classic. Coca Colleton Classic. <laughs> yes, I think that is exactly what this is. Um, I did. The last thing I did want to say about Eric Gustafson, aside from the fact that he was not good defensively against Toronto at all, had a sixty-eight percent Corsi against Pittsburgh on Saturday night. It's pretty damn good. Yes, that is pretty damn good. (laughs) Just it shows, I think, like you said, that just he once they move back to that system, he really took off like it's so, so evident that he fits better in it. And I still don't want him back with the Blackhawks next year. But with how badly we were excoriating him or sorry, not we, I, I will own that. I was going after him really hard in previous editions of the show. Felt like I, I owed it to him to at least say, hey, I'm a fair man. I'm willing to give praise where it's due. And kudos to you, sir. You've looked better. You still have work to do, but you've looked better. No, he's definitely been better. There's no doubt about that. Uh, all right. So I think the last question we have for the podcast night uh, is what happens when Connor Murphy comes back? I believe the date he's eligible to return is Saturday, the 16th against Nashville. He's been skating. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about our friends at Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. They are a, b- a beloved sponsor. Joined us last year and have just really taken the reins and been kind of our home base for a lot of our events, and we greatly appreciate it. Speaking of events, they've got a ton of stuff coming up. Wednesday from 7 to 10, Drinking with Dragons. It's a pickup Dungeons & Dragons gaming night. They've got open mic night on Thursday from 8 to 11, and then on the 17th of November, the 2019 Roller Derby Championship Watch Party. If you didn't know, Ray, who owns Rabbit Brewing, is a member of the Illinois Derby Dames uh, Roller Derby team. We took the Girl Scouts out there to watch them. It was absolutely, James, I'm saying this with no, uh, not tongue-in-cheek, no sarcasm at all. One of the most fun times I've ever had watching uh, the Roller Derby in person. Such an awesome event. Went and saw Ray there. So go watch the championships at Rabbit Brewing. On the 17th, and while you're there, try one of their many phenomenal, phenomenal beers. There's really nothing that you won't like, but I will recommend the Hexed and the Hemogoblin. Those are my two favorites. Uh, so go visit our friends at Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. They're right behind the Home Depot uh, on Brett's Drive. That's B-R-E-T-Z Drive. The address is 17759 Brett's Drive. So go visit Ray and Tobias and all of our friends at Rabid Brewing. All right, Connor Murphy, back soon. What do you do? Do you send Boquist down? Do you wave Slater Cuckoo? Do you send uh, Depth Forward? I don't know. There's a lot of options. Me, I'm waving Slater Cuckoo, hoping he clears, sending him to Rockford. If he doesn't clear, whatever. You gave up Jan Ruda for him. He had a, a decent run here as a depth defenseman. You've got Dennis Gilbert. you got some other guys in the system that can play fine. I think... For me, I'm keeping Bogus here the whole year. How about you? 
I mean, clearly what you have to do is you have to get rid of Duncan Keith. I mean, that guy is just dead weight, right? Trash, yes. No. Well, yeah, no. I mean, let's realistic options because, of course. No, I'm not being – no, I was being facetious. No, I, I, I'm speaking he's to – He's obviously one of the top defensemen on the team. Well, I'm but... talking – yeah, I'm talking to the listener in his car. It's like, trade Seabrook and Keith for McDavid. Like, yeah, I know. Like, realistically, what can happen? And I think – to me, the most logical thing, and I know they've been tr- they've been tr- avoiding this as much as they can, waving Slater Cuckoo, just yeah. wave him. If someone takes him, fine, fine, you'll live. It's not going to be like, damn it, we were going to win the Stanley Cup until Slater Cuckoo got away. I mean, legitimately, what <laughs> else are you going to do though? Send Bogle like down. you clearly don't want to carry eight defensemen, otherwise Dennis Gilbert would still be here. Do you want to send Bogle down? No, Me no, I don't like I I want them to use Adam Boquist as much as possible and to use him on the power play. But I also don't think that his his development isn't necessarily aided by going back to Rockford. I would understand if they wanted him to go back down there for a time. I don't think that would like devastate him emotionally or anything. But I also think that he's one of the top six defensemen on the Blackhawks. And I think that. You have to treat him that way and play him that way. And if they do that, I'm confident that he's going to continue to grow as an NHL defenseman. And I would rather see him getting opportunities to play than Slater Cuckoo. Agreed. Now, here's something that I have failed to mention, and I think it bears mentioning. The concern for Boquist is his defense. And while we've seen him have defensive lapses, it's been judgment. Like, putting a puck where there's no one or misreading a play you haven't seen him just get flat out beat right Mm -hmm. he's shown the ability to stop a checking forward to go in the bat go in a corner and win a puck he has the ability to defend now and again his decision making isn't ideal right he'll again a blind pass here or he'll wait a second to go there was a two what game was that with the two-on-one where the puck jumped over a stick at the blue line and he waited a second. It might have been the Sharks game. I feel like that was the San Jose game. Yeah, and he was like, what? Oh, crap, I better get back there, and it was too late. Uh, but those are the sort of things that that can go happen to him at Rockford, or it can happen here. He's going to learn on the fly. He's going to play with better players. Look, he's playing on the ice with three, with two basic coaches. He's got Duncan Keith, and he's got Brent Seabrook to tell him, hey, next time do this, right, as opposed to, the myriad young defensemen down in Rockford and Derek King is coach who I'm sure is fine. You've got two of the best defensemen of their generation on the ice and on the bench with him, not to mention an NHL coaching staff that gets to work with him every practice. Sheldon Brookbank had a long career in the NHL as a defenseman. There's so and many an even better career as an accountant. That's exactly right. Um, but there's so many quality resources for Adam Boquist at the NHL level that sure. Maybe he goes down to Rockford and makes some mistakes and it doesn't cost the organization as much. But guess what? I'd rather have him making an occasional mistake here and getting the high level of coaching and uh, I guess mentoring would be a word for it too at this level from NHL players who have been through the grind and knows what it takes to make it on this level. I see Duncan Keith and Adam Boquist, very similar looking players their first year. And I'm not going to say that Adam Boquist is going to turn into the next Duncan Keith by any means. If you had a question for a defenseman, who would you rather ask? Dennis Gilbert down in Rockford or Duncan Keith up in Chicago? I don't know. Can I get rap lessons from Chris Versteeg? No. 
<laughs> Stop that. We'll never speak of that again. Well, Jay, Jay is now going to be on his way down to Bourbon A to beat me with something, and I frankly deserve it. You do. On the way down, though, uh, I'll bring you some beer. How's that? Oh, that's so nice of you, man. <laughs> I still I still have beer at your house I need to come get. Do I have Girl Scout cookies there? Um, Potentially. <laughs> I, I feel like I gr- I did get those eventually, but I think I gave those something you. you should know about Jay and I is that Jay sells me stuff all the time, and then I forget to uh, come get it. Yep. It's all part of the business plan. Yep. Thanks for the money, buddy. I enjoyed your <laughs> cookies and beer. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank our sponsors, Triple Threat Sports, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, Marishka's in Crest Hill, the Barrel Club in Oakland, and Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Burbank Darien. Go try the cobbler. You won't regret it. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. So the plan has been Mondays and Fridays. I sort of like this schedule. It seems to be working. Uh, you guys have really jumped and responded. Uh, our month so far in November has been phenomenal. I know part of that is the new audience I picked up at Locked On, but you guys have been here since the beginning. I know a lot of you came over with me to Locked On as well, so thank you for the support wherever you're giving it. Uh, But, man, if you're new to the Madhouse podcast, welcome. If you're a long-timer, thank you. Um, But the numbers have been phenomenal, and we really could not and would not do this without you guys. So from the bottom of my heart, and I think I speak for James as well, we greatly appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We will talk to you on Friday.